This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another season of Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim, and this season is a unique season or or let me rephrase that it's rather a season that i've looked forward to or it's sort not even necessarily look forward to but something that every soccer fan knows about or is aware of or is one of the main reasons why they love certain soccer matches such as derbies or soccer matches that might have actual historical roots in them and that's what a lot of people love about soccer is because some of those historical tensions are manifested onto the pitch and that are expressed on the pitch by both fans and the players. So what am I talking about today? Classic sporting rivalries are a cultural phenomenon. You get a sense of the city's atmosphere shifting into anticipation. For fans, it's the excitement of anticipation for a major moment. In these types of games, legends are created, glory is earned, and names are internalized. While it makes these games special, we call them derbies or variations of world classics, like El Clasico, Super Classico, or what, what, what have you. Beyond the titles, these rivalries overlap with pre-existing beefs or tensions. Some are rooted in class struggle. Others is political associations, cultural conflicts, religious identity, sectarianism, what have you. Football is the new battlefield for modern-day city-state war. This season is soccer and war. Today's episode, we'll be looking at Glasgow's Old Firm Derby, perhaps the most famous and historical rivalry in world football. It is a textbook example of a football derby. It is not only a matter of two rivaling clubs vying for a league supremacy, it is a story of conflict that is rooted in one of the oldest Scottish and Irish tensions, England, specifically what England does. Every aspect of the Old Firm Derby can be unanimously pointed towards the consequences of Engl- England's imperial expansion. Very true. But where does the name Old Firm Derby comes from? Or rather, Old Firm? There's no guaranteed answer. But one of the explanations is that Celtic and Rangers are considered two old firm friends. Others simply state that Rangers and Celtic are a part of this original, part of the original 11 clubs in Scottish Football Association. And I guess in a similar way, if you take the two oldest, so you have the two most successful and oldest team in any sport in any league, and you have them play against each other every year, and they are the oldest clubs and most successful clubs, yeah, then you deserve a title like Old Firm Derby. That they've been, it's almost as if when you see the word Old Firm, you know that because the word old is in it. But for sure, when you see that term, you're like, this is historical. This is something that feels like it's been happening for forever. Old Firm doesn't sound like some marketing name that a marketing team came up with. It sounds like a legitimate term that sort of came out organically. And you can tell it's an organic term when no one isn't sure about the roots or the etymology of the term Old Firm. No one really knows who it started, where it came from. I guess the oldest evidence is that two old friends, two old firm friends, that came from a newspaper headline. So that's the earliest evidence, I suppose. But the term old firm was probably used, you know, by the fans outside of the media. So who knows how old the term old firm Darby is. Old firm, where does the beef start? There are plenty of material online explaining the history of old firm Darby and Scottish football. I was introduced to the gravity of the Darby through an old Vice documentary on YouTube. 
called Football's Most Dangerous Rivalry. Really good. Uh, if you know nothing about Old Firm Derby, I do suggest watching that. It gives you a pretty, very, it gives you a decent understanding of what it was like. It's a bit outdated, of course. Maybe it's pushing to 10 years old, but it still gives you an idea of what this, what this match was like, the Old Firm Derby and the rivalry between Celtics and Rangers. We'll get to why those two are so different and so at odds with each other. We'll get to that point. Actually, we'll get to that point right now. Because of that documentary, I became fascinated with soccer, reflection of historical tensions. In this case of the old firm, it's a story of immigration and empire, Catholics and Protestants, and Scottish independence. The old firm derby is a reflection of the religious, political, and social tensions within Glasgow. To make it easier, this episode will mainly talk about the historical events that influenced the match. I want to understand what makes the old firm derby special. Other than being one of the oldest and most exciting rivalries in world football, as such, for the episode, I'll begin by listing the key identities which distinguish both sides to understand the contrast. I like to put the key differences next to each other and then expand, sort of compare and contrast and putting two lists side by side. That's how I work. So to start off, Rangers. Let me just put all the superlatives, if you will, or attributes for each side. So for Rangers... They are associated as being native Scots and Scotch-Irish or Ulster Scots. Scotch-Irish are basically landed Scottish immigrants that moved to Northern Ireland. Today's Northern Ireland. Ulster is is uh, the plantation, I think what's it called. Ulster plantation is today's Northern Ireland with some overlapping to the Republic of Ireland. But anyway, so these were Protestant people that moved to Ireland. Scottish Protestants that lived in Northern Ireland and, you know, did their thing. Rangers are also associated with loyalism. Loyalism meaning the pro-British, pro-monarchy. They want to stay within the UK, which ties into questions of Scottish referendum and all that stuff. We'll get to that later. Rangers are also associated with, for being Protestants or Protestantism. They're very staunchly Protestant or the roots are very Protestant. And specifically, the Protestant denomination is mostly... Presbyterian, which is a Scottish form of Protestant Christianity, which is my denomination. I'm Presbyterian. And conservatism. Conservatism, I mean, everybody knows they have more conservative values that are specific to the UK or to Scotland. So those are Rangers. Native Scots that are Protestant, loyal to the Queen, and conservative. I think that's one way to generalize a fan base. <laughs> now, the Rangers that are mostly Native Scots or Scotch-Irish. On the other side, Celtic are Irish Scots, Irish immigrants that moved to Scotland. They're being Irish, obviously Catholic. They are associated with republicanism, which is on the other side of being a loyalist, not being more of a democratic institution and not going away from monarchy. And socialism, obviously that's self-explanatory. One last thing, Rangers, their colors is blue and white and Celtic, their colors is green and white. So if you put Rangers Celtic side by side, it's pretty much, it kind of looks like political parties when you really think about it. One's a little, like, it's like one could be considered, if you want to use American politics, Celtic might, you could call them the Democratic Party and Rangers, the conservative, no, not conservative, the, the Republican Party. You know, it's just football. But why does soccer have to have all these associations which create more tension, which create further conflict, really? And when you have these two competing groups who are the top of scottish football and they are so contrasting like this that it's it's of course of course fights are gonna happen but why well let's get into the roots 
It appears that the Old Firm Derby is a sporting battleground for Northern Irish issues in Scotland. I'll have to give a brief history of Northern Ireland, Scotland, and of course, culprit number one, English colonialism. I won't talk too much in details about history. I'll just give you the highlights to give you an idea what was happening and how it influences, how it, all those things were influencing Scottish people and Scottish football and in case Old Firm Derby as well. It's funny how I critique English colonialism while I'm doing this entire podcast in English. The issues which arise within the Old Firm Derby is multi-layered. So I'm going to separate the conversation based on each factor. Culture, politics, religion, and sectarianism. Sectarianism is weird because like the t- definition of sectarianism is that if you're a part, not necessarily of a sect, like a religious sect, not necessarily like that, but if you're just part of a particular group that has a very specific worldview. So if you're staunchly conservative or staunchly liberal you, the, and you guys don't get along with each other, that's sectarianism. Or if you're protestant and catholic and they'll get along with each other that's sectarianism so technically all of the things i just listed is all contributes to the sectarianism between scottish football fans of celtic and rangers so let's start with the culture aspect of the old firm derby the culture is also the historical and what i mean by that is let's look at the context at which each club was founded and why one club might be more pro-British and the other one might be pro-Irish. So Rangers was founded in 1872 and they were formed by four founders. Brothers Moses McNeil and Peter McNeil and Peter Campbell and William McBeef. I think that's how you say that name. The club is located in the west end of Glasgow called Govan. I think that's how you say that. Which dates back to the 5th century. So... Pretty much in 1872, it was founded by four guys in the west end of Glasgow in a neighborhood or area called Govan. That's old. This part of Glasgow is known for shipbuilding industry and it's and it's a working class town. So this is the west end of Glasgow, the ranger side. From the research I've done, it seemed like it was a very industrial part. Uh, a lot of shipbuilding industries were there because I guess the water the canal was about around there. And everything I found out about this area is mostly industrial blue-collar jobs. So understanding soccer as a working-class sport, and given the fact that this was founded in 1872, and also when I looked up brother Moses, brothers Moses McNeil and Peter McNeil, I didn't really find a lot of information. Whereas Peter Campbell, William McBeath, you found a little more, but you know, not, not much. And all I need to know just by seeing all this is that if you were to put yourself at that time in 1870s, Rangers would have looked like pretty much Protestants, most likely Protestant, Protestant factory workers and shipbuilders that will come out every, I don't know, at the end of the day or Friday or Saturday and they'll come and play soccer. However, on the other side of town is Celtic, which was founded in 1887 as a means of alleviating poverty in the Irish-dominated east end of Glasgow by raising money through charity. As such, they adopted the clover as their badge. This decision came from a meeting in the Hall of St. Mary's Church. It's interesting. So Rangers was founded as sort of like a pastime for working class people just to get together and, you know, just play ball. Celtic, very similar to San Lorenzo in Argentina, was formed out of charity. And I love that. I love the fact that Rangers was founded out of for need of a hobby, I guess. we I'm assuming it's for a hobby or something to do. And... Celtic was founded out of charity to take care of people. This is why the European Super League did not sit well with people because those two things I just listed 
is what makes football football is it that's the spirit and that's the foundations of football is it's about people it's not about money it's about people like when you look at these two money wasn't when they think about money in this case obviously everybody wants to be rich but the money in this case wasn't so much to make money but it was so much to keep this game going so that we as a community could come together and keep playing you know and some people think that the wealth of a community depends on how much money they actually make, but in my opinion, and I think that's a silly thing to to say because I've seen rich communities and they don't feel like a community. You know, they feel like a collective of individuals that live behind castles. Whereas when you go to working class communities or middle class communities, it feels like everybody, depending what neighborhood you're at, everybody knows each other, everybody recognizes each other, everybody went to the same high school, perhaps, same church. No, I, anyway, maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome, but I, <laughs> anyway. Let's get back. So yeah, so Celtic, as I said, similar to San Lorenzo, it was formed out of charity. So they were only playing soccer, not only to get the kids off the street, but to give, you know, poor Irish people something to do and not, you know, get into crime and stuff and be virtuous people. And another thing that I absolutely love about Celtic was that it was a community decision to create Celtic Football Club. That was a community decision. They had a meeting at St. Mary's Church. That means a community went to church, talked it out, and said, this is what we're going to do. And they came to the decision. This is why Celtic is in favor of republicanism, because this club was was founded as literally as a democratic institution. It was founded through democratic philosophy. And it's, it's incredible. I have a lot of respect for those two clubs, Rangers and Celtic. Anyway, so that was my conversation about culture. There's the cultural difference between Rangers and Celtic is quite overt. One's Protestant and mostly native scottish and the other one's irish immigrants mostly catholics poor well they're both poor relatively speaking but one's on the west end one's the east end so you could see why tribalism is already taking effect by both of them being in two separate parts of towns have their own soccer teams doing their own thing but i don't think they'll ever see their own soccer clubs become so big that they dominate scottish football i don't think they probably saw that they just want to do you know play soccer so let's get into the politics. Now you have these two tribes that are formed and they're doing their own thing. So how would they interact with each other? What I wrote in the politics section is relatively brief and it's within the last 100 years, I would say. But again, everything I say here is quite brief. And I guess a good way to get into the political discussion is to talk about flags. So if you look at Celtic fans and you look at Celtic Park during Celtic games, you'll notice one very common theme, which is Irish flags, the tricolors of the Irish flags being flown about everywhere. You know, all the fans are waving in and chanting and what have you. And Rangers on the other side at Ibrook Stadium, they wave Union Jacks everywhere. There are Union Jacks flag, Union Jack flags everywhere and stuff like that. It kind of looks like what the day of the Scottish referendum looked like when you have two sets of supporters, pro-referendum and anti-referendum. I mean, pro-independence and anti anti-independence it's kind of similar with the way they were expressing themselves very similar to a soccer match rangers fans being pro queen so they wanted to stay within the uk whereas celtic fans would most likely again i'm generalizing there are probably a tons of celtic fans that want to stay within the uk and there's probably a ton of rangers fans that want scottish independence that's possible and if they do exist they're probably keeping opinions to themselves but who knows but that being said, on paper, Rangers want to stay in Scotland. I mean, want to stay in the UK. And then Celtic fans, on paper, would be in favor of Scottish referendum and independence. 
And how did they get to this point where both fan base would vote differently in a very pivotal matter in their national history? Again, it goes back to history. You know, why are all the Irish immigrants in Scotland? Why are Irish immigrants everywhere? As we were told in North America, it's mostly because of potato famine or famine, 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 famine. It's, all, it's often they always say this famine and disease is the reason why the Irish left. I mean, that is a contributing factor. That was a major factor. But another factor was also conflict. There was a lot of, you know, the English were colonizing Ireland and obviously people were fighting back. And the, I guess the English were being quite cruel, relatively speaking. I mean, the only reason why people leave their, their native land is because it's not working out there anymore. Either a foreign invader has come or it's being destroyed, not destroyed, but being screwed over from within. And as I said earlier in the episode, a lot of it has to do with the plantation of Ulster or Northern Ireland. The tension still exists today. We Some of the tensions and the violence is slowly coming back today in Northern Ireland after the whole debacle with Brexit and stuff. And that was the English way of colonization in Ireland is that they were trying to, and this will get onto the religion uh, section of this conversation right after this, the English wanted to make all of Ireland Protestant because it was a Catholic country. And one of the ways to do it is to bring landed immigrants who are Protestants and their job is to help spread Protestantism within the land. And they're giving out a ton of plantation land or farmland to Scottish Protestants, the Scottish Protestant landowners in Scotland or people of, I guess, with relative influence, financial influence. We're given land in, in Ulster, Northern Ireland, to begin their plantations. And now you have a generation of Scotch-Irish living in Northern Ireland and making their presence known and creating a very strong Protestant community in an otherwise very Catholic country. So you see where the politics of tension comes in. Religion politics, you can you can never really separate those. So, you know, it's there. And then if you talk about in the years of the Troubles of like this, I think it's like the 60s to the 80s, it's when it was a time when terrorist terrorism was associated with Northern Irish or just Irish. The stereotype of Northern Irish people at the time was terrorists, rough, uh, hooligans, thugs, whatever. At the time, the IRA or the Irish Republican Army, which is not a real army, it's an, a non-government entity. They were fighting against the British government, the British army with a lot of bombings, of a lot of you know levels of violence in Northern Ireland. It was getting pretty intense. And obviously, the Irish Republican Army found a lot of support within Celtic fans in Glasgow. So I think you're starting to see the, the connections that whatever seems to happen within Northern Ireland comes over to Scotland and into Glasgow. And the truth is, is that, well, a lot of problems in Northern Ireland had to do with the Scottish uh, Protestants moving in and given land to farm and live and so on. And the native Irish Catholics were not happy with that. And Scotland's not really that far, so a lot of Irish immigrants moved to places like Scotland and England and Canada and the United States, but particularly in Scotland. Some of those Scotch-Irish in Northern Ireland, they ended up moving back to Scotland, and they bring some of those beefs with them. But also, being within Scotland, is like it was almost as if it was a perfect setting for these two groups to settle their differences, if you will. So, as I said, religion has a major role to play in all this, and the beef between protestants and catholics is as old as protestants and catholics it's it's as as old as protestants as a matter of fact the entire creation of protestantism is came out out of tension and beef with the catholic church but a lot of those religious identities at this time 
greatly mattered because it was so in it was so intertwined with politics that your religion is your identity but also your uniform your military uniform in terms of conflict and in this case if you're catholic you're you're red you're white and green and if you're protestant you're you're blue white and some red both their uniforms are, are really nice celtic fans are mostly uh, catholic irish catholics or irish catholicism all you need to know is that they've just added characters that are more relevant to the immediate culture. So if we're going to talk about Irish Catholicism, the first person that comes to mind is St. Patrick himself, being the patron saint of Ireland. And not just uh, St. Patrick, but also the Pope. So instead of having the Queen as your head of state, they would probably replace that with the Pope. And not literally, but perhaps more expressively. And Rangers fans... As I said, Presbyterian, Protestants, uh, a lot of English feel that, not English, a lot of British feel that Britain as a whole is a Protestant country, despite still having a very large Catholic minority. But, but again, it goes back to politics because this tension between Catholics and Protestants today doesn't really exist. No one really cares because everyone's just Christian at the end of the day. All this conversation brings me to sectarianism. As I said earlier, sectarianism is basically people with different political ideologies, worldviews, and religions that don't, you know, that come into conflict and disagree on each other's point of views. But when they disagree with each other's point of views, is specifically because they are a part of a different team that you don't agree with. So the political aspect of the feud also developed in that period. The section I'm about to read, I actually pulled it off right from Wikipedia because I thought the way they explained it was pretty decent. I checked with other sources and they all pretty much say the same thing. And I even checked the sources that Wikipedia used. And I'm just going to read what it says here. The political aspect of the feud also developed in that period. That period being the early 20th century. With perhaps the most significant development occurring in 1912 when Belfast shipbuilder Harlan and Wolf, a company which already had an anti-Catholic hiring practice, racism, set a new yard in Glasgow due to instability in Ireland. Hundreds of Ulster Protestant workers, many of Scottish descent, also made the move and they adopted Rangers, the closest large club to Govan Yard, as a new team. Okay, so basically, Harlan and Wolf, really cool name, started a shipbuilding company in Glasgow because of all the instability happening in Northern Ireland, Belfast being the capital of Northern Ireland. And them being and them being obviously Protestants and because they don't hire Catholics, they moved to Scotland and to Glasgow. And then all the Ulster Protestants, meaning the Scotch Irish that lived in Northern Ireland, moved back to Scotland and and to adopt the Rangers as their home team because it was the closest large club to Govan Yard. Oh yeah, because Govan is a shipbuilding area, Harlan and Wolf Comp uh, shipbuilding company would obviously settle in Govan area, in the Govan part of town, the West End, where all the other shipbuilding industries are. Makes sense. You see, it's a good thing I've established all this beforehand so we can get to here and everything clicks. Other events such as World War I and the Easter Rising contributed to the club being adopted as a symbol of the Scottish establishment and the British unionism in the face of Irish Catholic rebellion personified by the success of Celtic. And from that time on, many across Scotland and Northern Ireland and the diaspora of the communities in England and North America and elsewhere became supporters of Rangers or Celtic over and above their local teams according to their own political and religious leanings, including polarizing attitude towards the Troubles. The Troubles being the instability happening in Ireland with the army, the British Army being deployed in Northern Ireland to you know deal with the IRA and 
all the bombings and stuff. So as you can see, pretty much all of the, not just international disputes, but really all the domestic issues that happen in the UK is manifested and expressed through football. Nevertheless, the dividing line seems to be blurred in the 21st century Glasgow. Religious adherence in general is falling. Very true. Marriages between Protestants and Catholics have never been higher. And the old certainties, the Rangers supporter voting Conservative and a Celtic supporter voting Labour are no longer in evidence. There you go. It's a good thing I said what I said earlier and then it corrected me here. I was saying on paper, Rangers should be voting Conservative. And he says that was the case. And Celtic should be voting Liberal. I mean, Labour. And it is the case, but no longer. It doesn't really matter. So two strong opponents that made the rival this rivalry intense was politics and religion. And now those things are becoming more and more irrelevant, which to me is a good thing. Great. Now let's just make it about racism between Scottish and Irish. The majority of Rangers and Celtic supporters do not get involved in sectarianism, but serious incidents do occur with a tendency for the actions of a minority to dominate the headline. Yeah, that's true. When I went to a West Ham game and I saw a fight, it's only like 20 or 30 dudes out of like 60,000 people that are down to fight. It's really just like a small group of people that are down to fight. But those small group of people, when they're not fighting, that same energy can carry the stadium into a bonanza, into a frenzy. It's because they just have that much energy. Anyway. In 2005, both Celtic and Rangers joined a, pro joined a project to tackle bigotry and sectarianism in sport. There was, a, there was little change in the behavior and subsequent prosecution of the fans. Of course, there was nothing. Nothing happened. This is, I think it was that documentary on Vice where I, I learned about the term 90-minute bigot. 90-minute bigot is their excuse to be racist and offensive as much as possible because they say, I'm only like this at soccer games. I'm not, I'm not like this in my everyday life. I... I one another 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 thing they say is that they have a stressful life, so it's a good way to get all their anger off their shoulders at this game by like projecting and screaming at the players. Which I get, I, I get that need to relieve yourself in such a way. But but if you have the capacity to be racist, say racist things, and say bigoted things, then you just are a bigot. That's that's where I stand. So I don't understand this ninety minute bigot. Are you a ninety minute asshole? I mean. I've met people who have the capacity to be assholes. Does that make them an asshole? Only when they're being an asshole. But when it comes to racism, I'm like, no, it's that's that's a worldview. That's not a behavior. That's a worldview. And that's who you are. So if you're just a racist for 90 minutes, then you just are a racist. That's it. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't change, but you know, it is what it is. The old firm rivalry fueled many assaults on Derby days. And some deaths in the past have been directly related to the aftermath of old firm matches. People died? Oh, shit. Uh, wow. Okay. An activist, an activist group that monitors sectarian activity in Glasgow has reported that an old firm weekend, violent attacks increased ninefold over normal levels. Ninefold. Wait, how old is that source? Anyway. An increase in domestic abuse can also, at, can also be attributed to old firm fixtures. Holy shit. So crime literally goes up because of this one game. These differences lead to one direction among lower class men, anger. And these tensions always manifest in huge soccer riots and fights. So all this to say is that at some point the fights got really bad. As I said, some people died and it was just going nutty that the government passed, the, the Scottish government particularly, passed the hooligan law. I think the hooliganism law, which was 
in Maine, there was a Scottish Parliament. I think it was the entire UK Parliament that passed a law, which was a serious crackdown on hooligan fighting in soccer games, post-soccer games in particular. Because it was becoming very dangerous for, for just normal fans or whoever. What if you're a man and you, you're with your kids and you just turn out to be wearing the wrong jersey and a guy just sees your sees a man with the wrong jersey he wants to attack you and doesn't see that you're a father with his children? That for sure has happened in the past. And this is why this law exists today. Which I'm like, yeah, good, good. Let's keep it safe. If you guys want to fight, go somewhere else and fight and do it amongst yourselves. It seems like today sectarianism is no longer a thing in Scotland. That no one really cares about the pol that the other club's politics or the other club's religion. I mean, they bring it up but as a point of banter. Like you'll always find Rangers fans, you know, with you'll find all these pictures of Rangers fans with with banners saying stuff about the Pope and a few ped- like a handful of pedophilia jokes towards Celtic fans. And Delta fans dish it out back to Rangers about being sellouts, I guess, and being, you know, I guess a bunch of cunts in in their language. (laughs) But I guess on the bright side, what I liked, what I've seen so far or read so far is that sectarian violence is less and less of a thing. Perhaps overall violence between these, between both sides might be less of a thing, but I kind of doubt it because this, this rivalry is still a very big thing. However, I do like the fact that it's becoming less religious and less political and just more about who's angrier and who and whose team is playing better, which is good. That being said, I want to conclude on highlighting this one important factor that I that really connects both clubs is that despite the fact that they were both founded on two very different reasons, it didn't change the fact that they were both poor working communities that just needed something to pass the time. Or needed something to enrich the community life in an otherwise difficult environment. And I don't think we should ever forget that. You know, one was born out of factory workers needing something to do as opposed to going going to a pub and getting wasted. And Irish immigrants who are poor and just want their children off the street to do something and not get involved in crime and stuff like that. Like it to me it's it's all well meaning intentions as to how these two clubs were formed in Scotland, and that's what I—that's what I love, and that's—it reminds me of why I love soccer because of stuff like this. At the same time, it is—it was just just the people who occupied these clubs and and the mindset that they had in the beginning, anti-Catholic, anti-Protestant, anti-Queen, anti-this, anti-that, and both living in two very East End and West End, two different sides of towns. Of course, beefs were gonna happen. It was going to happen a real war occurred or real conflicts have occurred and it's now being manifested and projected into soccer does that exist today no but it doesn't change the fact that soccer tensions will always reflect societal tensions my guess in the future is that rangers they're only two years in two or three years back into the into scottish premier league they they were Oh, Rangers were going through a finan- had a financial meltdown essentially, and they were relegated to fourth division, and they fought their way back to the top of the Premier League, which was really not that hard for them. And that being said, I'm interested to see how the Celtic Rangers rivalry will pan out in the future, because the last few years has been more like a revisit of what this old firm derby was like, and a lot of people were not disappointed. And most of fans, both Celtic and Rangers, they both see themselves as Scottish. Even Celtic fans. Celtic fans would say, oh, I'm Irish, I'm Irish this, I'm Irish that. But it's kind of, it seems like 
the same way as some Americans and Canadians say I'm Irish, but you're like third, fourth, fifth generation Irish, Canadian, Irish, Scottish or whatever. That's not an insult. It's just that's kind of a fact. So that being said, with both fan base still seeing themselves as, uh, as very Scottish, I'm assuming, I'm going to guess the future of Old from Derby and what the what the rivalry will look like will be more of a question of Scottish independence. That's my guess. I'm guessing that the Rangers fans, they'll dislike the Celtic fans maybe for their view of pro-Scottish independence. And then Rangers might be like, I think that's a dumb idea. We should stay within the UK. I could see that happening. But would it get to that point? Maybe not. But I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I love the Old Firm Derby. I want to go see it. It's on my bucket list. It's in Glasgow. Um, if I had to choose between Ibrick Stadium or Rangers play or Celtic Park, I choose Celtic Park. Because Celtic Park, I've seen all the videos. The Champions League. Well, I want to be at Celtic Park for a Champions League game. That's where I want to be. Because those guys look freaking insane. And I want to be there. And before I leave, I do want to leave you with two or three fun facts. First fun fact, Celtic and Rangers jointly own the IP of the name Old Firm. So no other professional competition, sporting competition, could use the term Old Firm for their match. Celtic and Rangers jointly own that, which is very smart. I like that. If you play GTA, the street gangs you'll always notice is green and purple. Always green and purple. Well, not why not red and blue or black and white or you know whatever. Uh, the reason why was because the guys who started the original GTA series are from Scotland and they're from Edinburgh. Edinburgh is a beautiful city. Everyone should definitely go check it out. Incredible city. They were both from Edinburgh, and the local clubs are Hi- Hibernia and Hearts. Hibernia, their color is green. Hearts, their color is purple. And when they made GTA, they use those colors because of those two clubs. Because they're from Edinburgh and those two clubs have a big beef as well, a big rivalry. And that's why GTA, all the gangs are green and purple because of Hibernia and Hearts. Fun fact. So this episode was very historical. And I spoke a lot about the history of the Derby and what are the things that influence the real historical factors that have influenced the match to what it is today. I didn't really talk a lot about uh, actual matchups and actual Derbies and players and coaches that even made the matches better and bigger. Because I felt like that was a better conversation to hold and to have with an actual Celtic and or Rangers fan. I want to have that conversation with a real fan, a real Celtic fan and a real Rangers fan uh, because I don't really know much. I just want to talk about what I could see and study, which is the history. So to everyone listening, thank you for listening. This season's on soccer and war and this first war, if you will, is is, is definitely the most well-known beef and rivalry in world football, for sure, especially within the English-speaking world. Anyway, that being said, please follow me on Instagram at Jason underscore Jisoo, G-I-S-O-O. Share my podcast, share it with your friends, put it on your story. Uh, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the podcast itself on Spotify or any other streaming dev- streaming platforms. That being said, thank you for being an audience. My name is Jason Kim, and this is Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you.